all around the world, we're facing an unprecedented global health crisis, forcing businesses to adapt and make difficult decisions. In this podcast from BizNow, we're hearing from members of the commercial real estate industry about the calls that they're making and their day-to-day approach. My name's Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York City reporter. In this edition, we're hearing from Wendy Berger. She's the CEO and president of WBS Equities. Her company does build-to-suit food manufacturing and distribution buildings, and she has multiple properties in New York, Ohio, Illinois, and Massachusetts. She spoke to me from Chicago about working with her tenants to get them through, handling her time in isolation, and how two major personal tragedies have prepared her to handle a situation like this. Her last day in the office, like so many of us, was the day after President Trump announced that travellers from Europe would no longer be able to enter the United States. I left my office a bit early on Thursday and I had every intention of just coming home. I had already been to the grocery store. I had already stocked up. And on my way home, one of my friends called me and she said, can you have a quick dinner with me? And I thought, okay, this is going to be my last meal out. And I remember parking right by the restaurant and I was literally driving by, so I just kind of stopped where she said she wanted to meet and she was going to be working from her office. And I walked into that restaurant very nervous and very uncomfortable. And really at that moment, it struck me that life was about to change. I don't think I had any sense of how dramatically or how completely and quickly but it felt like a moment. You've got a business, so you have a lot of people working for you. What have you told everybody? I have told everybody, first and foremost, this is a time for humanity to shine, and we are going to be shining examples of that. And to think first about people, to practice empathy. Um, And this is something I talk about in business a lot, is Empathy is one of those things that I believe we all get better at with practice, so practice it. And the other thing I've been saying is this is about humanity, and those two things go together. So first and foremost, think about all of the people we interact with, and in every conversation you have and in every business decision we make, humanity first, period. And then let's talk about each business situation individually. It's been such a painful week in a way, like you're looking at the job numbers, losses, the businesses that are in pain. How are you, I guess, staying positive, um, leading your team, you're a CEO, how are you kind of um, staying positive but also realistic for your team? So I'm, as a developer, I sometimes joke that I'm a builder. While I don't actually build buildings with my own hands, I build buildings. And a couple of years ago, after a personal tragedy in my life, as I came back to life, I came up with this metaphor borrowed from the building trades, and that is having a tool belt and having tools that I could call upon during really difficult time. And I call it the tools of my tool belt and I have a set of them and they are going to be my guiding principles and I'll share them with people as people want those tools. But the tools in my tool belt will be the things that keep me 
positive and moving forward. And ultimately, more than anything else, I think we are a resilient people. Um, as a country, as a world, I think we're resilient. And if we recall some similarities between post 9-11 and the recovery after the recession, I th there will be great pain and and people will come back some more slowly than others and businesses will pick up, but we are resilient. What are some of the tools that you're p pulling on on that kind of metaphorical tool belt? First one is be courageous. Um, let go of your fears. A, a couple of years ago, I had the great privilege of a being at a leadership training program at GE's Crotonville Training Center, right? So GE's Worldwide Training Center. And I was invited to, to be among a group of GE's top 80 rising women plus some GE partners. And Jeff Immelt, who was the CEO at the time, gave the opening presentation. And without knowing that I had just been through a very personal traumatic event, Jeff walked right up to me in a room of about 120 women. We were sitting in a classroom kind of auditorium style seating. And he looked at me and he said, looked directly in my eyes and he said, what would you do if you had no fears? And that just struck, it just struck me and it has stayed with me. And so my first one is be courageous and let go of your fears. Fear appropriately, right? Here. The, there is real fear and there is real caution, but we can't live in fear. Um, number two is listen. Really listen. Ask questions, and when you're done asking questions, ask more questions. We learn such amazing things when we listen, and we find these amazing, incredible connections when we listen to people and life stories and, and ways to connect. And in this moment where we're, so many of us are physically disconnected, I think anywhere we can find connections are, are going to be really important. Um, expressing gratitude to the people we work with, to our loved ones, and really right now more than ever to the stranger we encounter. Everybody is feeling raw and fragile, and I think gratitude, and as I said before, gratitude, and after that is empathy. Those to me go really well together, and both require practice, and you get better at both of them. And I think we're all feeling this so deeply. Uh, I think maybe one of the the next most important one that I think about is not being defined by our pasts um, and not letting our pasts limit us in any way. So the metaphor I think about here is driving a car, right? So you can't move forward looking in the rearview mirror. You have to glance at it and you need to glance to the side, but you cannot drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. And then the question becomes, how far forward do you look? So while we have to deal with the reality in front of us right now, and we must consciously deal with it, um, I think not being defined by this moment in time. And that's going to be hard for all the people who are very personally impacted by this, whether that's loved ones who are sick, 
the economic impact, um, but we will all have to forge a path forward and not be defined in the past and not be limited by the past. You said that um, a personal tragedy, um, you learned a lot from a personal tragedy. Is that shaping how you're approaching this? Even though this isn't a personal tragedy, this is kind of a global tragedy that we're all facing together. A hundred percent. I think it shapes who I am, how I see the world, and I have that same sense of fragility that I felt after that and so I think it it and again it doesn't define me but I carry it with me um, and I, I think it really does I, I think my empathy right now is so deep and so raw that it colors my view and I think it's actually in a positive way we never like to say that something good comes out of a tragedy um, and I think about um, Sheryl Sandberg in her second book had a great quote as sort of a way to sterilize um, this concept of how can you say that something terrible happened and I'm a better person for it, but she calls it post-traumatic growth. Are you comfortable saying what your personal tragedy is? I've talked about it publicly and I did do a TED talk, you know, along these same lines. So um, the last, in a very short period of time, um, I had suffered from two personal tragedies. Nine years ago, my beloved big brother, who was my best friend, my brother, my sister, and I really thought of ourselves as triplets, was killed in an airplane crash. So when you talk about your life changing in literally an instant, my world changed, my family changed forever in an instant. The 20 seconds from takeoff to crash changed the course of everything. And if that wasn't um, challenging and tragic enough, three years later, my husband of 24 years committed suicide. So, when I think about resiliency and when I talk about these tool belt, these tools in my tool belt, these are the tools that I have personally drawn upon to build a brand new life and to find ways to find meaning and joy and purpose in life. And unfortunately, we're in a similar situation where people are experiencing trauma and tragedy. What are you telling your your staff? Are you drawing on those sorts of experiences and saying, I, I, I have created a life from this. We can create something from what's happening right now? Yes. Um, my core team was with me through that. Um, they watched me shatter and then they watched me build a new life. And I think, I know looking back, and, and I've occasionally had a chuckle about it with them. I, I didn't know how deeply impacted they were by my shattering. Um, and so now I'm going to talk much more about how to draw on tools and all of the things that we all need to be doing to support each other during this time. And then I'm also going to remind them that through the Great Recession, 
I hate, I'm not sure I want to call it the Great Recession anymore. It doesn't seem such a positive way to spin it. Sorry for the side note. Um, we didn't miss a beat. Um, and by that, I mean we did not change course. Um, my view is colored by the fact that I was a banker coming out of college. My first job was at a middle market bank. And I learned a lot about risk and assessing risk. And while some of my peers were probably taking much bigger risks and reaping much bigger rewards, I had this worldview of, of always assessing risk and making decisions that I could live with the downside. And we stayed that course. And so through the recession, I am deeply grateful and thankful to say we didn't miss a beat. There were no layoffs, no pay cuts. Um, we maybe shrunk our world a bit, meaning we didn't do as many deals, but we were steadfast in our core principles of how we do business and how we treat other people. And we're going to do that same thing right now, and we will be standing strong. We have a very strong balance sheet. We are gonna work with our tenants that need help at this time and we will help them get back on their feet by doing whatever we can. Uh, and we're gonna be humans first and foremost, and we'll keep repeating that. You must have got a lot of calls from tenants over the last, I don't know, 10 days, week or so. We're actually calling them. And we are saying, if, you know, this is the short version of the script, but first of all, how are you? How are you treating your employees? What are you doing with them? So, you know, if you're in the service business, what are you doing first for your employees? We want to know that. And then let's talk about your individual situation and come up with a plan. And mostly I think what we're going to talk about is rent deferrals because I want my those tenants who have had to shut their businesses down, if I don't become their partner in a solution, they will have no chance of opening back up again. Now we have mortgages and so we'll have some ramifications down the line, but we're gonna come up with an individual plan. And this is where relationships are important. We have strong relationships with our tenants and our business partners and our lenders. And we're gonna have a lot of very hard but open and honest conversations. So it sounds like pain now for long-term kind of gripping on, if for want of a better term. Absolutely. And you think you're going to be able to grip through this? Oh, yes. My company, and yes, I have absolutely no doubt. So you're already thinking rent deferrals? Yes. Because that's something a lot of retailers are, are worrying about too, is like, I can't sell whatever I sell, I can't pay the rent, uh, what's going to happen to me? And if they, you know, if I, sh if I give them no leeway now, what chance will they have of, of opening again? And I think that this is, this is also mental. It's not just about the bank account. I think that people are so mentally taxed and stressed that if I have a conversation with someone and say, I am going to work with you, I'm your partner in this, Talk to me about what your overall situation is. 
they're going to have a more positive outlook and start to think about the future and start to think about how they're going to come back and take those hard looks at what can they do to plan now for the what I hope will be a very rapid bounce back. We just don't know when it will be. So you're, so a lot of your um, tenants are not operating at the moment? I wouldn't say a lot. We, we have a decent-sized strip center, and that's where most of our tenants are impacted. They're really either service businesses like salons or restaurants or fitness facilities. They're all closed. Yeah, closed. I just got an email from Flywheel saying that they've had to lay off 98% of their staff. But my question back to Flywheel would be, what are you doing for your employees? Did you know? Did you react first by laying them off, or did you cut your executive salaries first? Yeah. And I can't judge anyone else's business, but that's the approach that I'm taking. Overall, for industrial, I mean, what do you think the outlook is? There's been questions about how this is going to impact things. I mean, on the one hand, there's supply chain issues, there's tenants being really stressed. And on the other hand, you know, people are, are buying online and that in some ways could, could have a, a positive impact. I think as long as we can keep truck drivers working, we can keep some real strength in the economy, right? Right now, e-commerce is the big winner. Certainly, I my personal belief is Amazon is ultimately the biggest winner. And so far, what I've read of the actions that Amazon is taking seem to be very positive in terms of how they're treating people and the amount of people they're hiring. So if we can keep trucks moving and the logistics system moving, we will be able to keep more people employed and keep product being delivered to people, right? Everybody is doing what is now called touchless delivery. And that may be a lifeline. And if I thought about how much joy I was, I got before between the near daily boxes that showed up at my office with everything from laundry detergent to office supplies to the fun things in my life. Um, getting, I, sounds kind of goofy, but opening a box right now gives you a few minutes of joy. And I don't care if it's just toilet paper in that box. It's something. Little tiny bits of joy right now are, um, are precious. This is where we're going to find it. I just went for, just prior to this this podcast, I went for a run along the lakefront. I was on a five and a half hour call this morning. So I quickly put my running clothes on and there were people taking pictures all over the place. Everybody is appropriately spaced and people taking pictures. And I thought that was really interesting to see the kinds of particular pictures people taking. It's a really windy, blustery, overcast kind of gray day in Chicago and the waves from Lake Michigan are lapping up onto the path such that there are part, many parts of our bike path and walking path that are closed. So people were taking pictures of the waves splashing over the concrete. And I think finding joy in those moments. So you're doing exercise, um, you're looking for little bits of joy. How, how else are you handling um, this 
period of isolation? So I'm very conscious about reaching out to friends and colleagues, and I think friends and colleagues are doing the same. I've heard and seen a lot of people organizing, whether it's Microsoft Teams or Zoom, you know, dinner parties, book clubs, conversations. Um, thankfully, I still am really busy with work, but I'm anticipating that the volume of emails and calls will slow down. And I have, I have a system of notes. So I write one thing on a single piece of paper, and then I arrange those papers on, on the floor, or on a countertop, or in this case, on my guest bedroom bed. And there's one thing at a time written in on each piece of paper. And it, I'm going to grab a piece of paper at a time and try to knock out some tasks. And then there are everything from cleaning out drawers and closets, which I think we're all going to do a lot of, to organizing, cleaning off my computer, organizing files on my computer. I'm going to prepare my taxes uh, sooner than April 15th, even though they won't be due on April 15th. But I'm going to use this time not to do that at the last minute. And I, what I'm really trying to do is take on what I call bite-sized pieces so that I don't feel overwhelmed by any of these tasks and that I can actually feel the sense of accomplishment that you get from starting and completing one thing at a time. Exercise, to-do lists, and ringing friends. That sounds like <laughs> that sounds like how you're getting through. Even moments of laughter during this incredibly painful time. And I, this is something I think back to my two grieving experiences. It was okay to laugh. You know, at first I thought, how can I laugh during this horrible time? But there are things that are just awfully funny and a moment of laughter is not something to be condemned for in this time. It doesn't mean that you're taking it any less seriously or that you are not empathetic. So I think those moments of laughter are going to be really critical. Finding joy.